chapter 3. We're going to read a few scriptures here. We're going to be looking at actually several scriptures this morning. The Lord wills. I don't do this very often. Uh, but sometimes I feel it is necessary. I've made uh, many statements before in the past that, you know, this is the church that the Lord has gathered here. And uh, uh, whenever we come together, we come together as the body of Christ here. And, um, you know, we're concerned about the things that the Lord has brought us together for, right? And uh, while we do have a, 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 a broadcast that goes out on uh, uh, live stream on Facebook, and we put it on YouTube and Sermon Audio, and people can go watch those and, and listen to those after the fact and all that stuff. Um, and, and while I do agree that there's a ministry there, that the Lord uses that and, and ministers to His sheep through those uh, through those uh, ways of, of communication. But again, I've said, you know, we don't dictate our stuff here based upon what other people are doing everywhere else. But occasionally, having those uh, other communications, uh, we get a lot of questions, we get a lot of responses to what we preach and what we teach and what we believe at this church. And uh, sometimes uh, those communications... Uh, between folks, you know, over email and things like that, or whether it be text messages or comments in the comment sections, uh, a lot of times those can go in so many different directions that it's just kind of hard to stay focused on a certain thing. But anyway, uh, and a lot of times I'm so busy I can't keep up with a lot of the comments and a lot of the input that comes in through my email and through the websites and all the different things. And so uh, it's not that I don't care and it's not that I don't think that people should be given a response or something like that. It's just I don't have a lot of the time to do that and everything. My primary focus is right here. And uh, But there are times that I think that we ought to maybe address some of the things that some of the folks are asking about, especially if it's an ongoing question or ongoing debate about some of the things that we believe and that being the case this morning, uh, I've really been thinking about uh, this gentleman that has uh, been listening to our messages and making some comments. Uh, as I mentioned last week, I do think uh, this, uh, this gentleman is uh, uh, very misunderstanding of the scriptures uh, and the fact that he still is holding on a lot to the law and a, and a lot to the Judaic uh, system. And... Uh, uh, I in no way want to put this man down or anything like that. Uh, we all, until the Lord teaches us, we all are still learning and still growing in the grace and knowledge of, of the Lord Jesus. But I thought I might uh, try to answer some of the questions that he has put forth. Uh, he has mentioned some other things that I have not dealt with or even responded to yet. And Lord willing, I'll get to those as I can. Uh, but again, I'll also say at the forefront... I'm not the answer for anything. <laughs> also, uh, the Word of God is the final authority. It doesn't matter what my opinion is or what our church's opinion is about anything. It's what does God's Word say about it. And I hope that I've 
reiterated that enough here that everybody understands that I can only know what I know that I've been given by God to know, that I, at least I believe I've been given by God to know, or what God has not decided to reveal to me. I mean, I don't know what's on the other side that God has yet to reveal to me. But the things that God has revealed, if it's in accordance with the Word of God, and it is accordance to Scripture, you know, that's that's what we have to believe. That's what we lean on. I don't look and say, well, that don't seem right. It don't fit into the, our culture or to our system or to this or that. I, is this what God's Word says? And if it is, then I have to believe that because this is what's true. I'm not true. You're not true. Nobody out there is true. The Bible says, let God be true. And every man a liar. And that's just because no man has full knowledge of anything of the truth. So, with that being said, uh, I, I do want to, uh, uh, at least if God helps me, to answer some of the questions on why we believe and are preaching a lot of the things we preach as far as it seems to be antagonistic against the law, although we're not antagonistic against the law, we just believe that we ought to preach the law for the purpose in which God intended it to be given. Uh, and we also are preaching the covenants according as God has revealed the covenants. And we are preaching the spiritual things as it takes precedence over the natural things. And so, with that being said, one of the questions that came in response to uh, the message last week uh, was, uh, he said that nowhere in the Bible does it say the covenant was given to show that they could not keep it. So his premises of his question is, is, is that the law, uh, nowhere does the Bible say that the law was given uh, so that no man could keep it or to show that no man could keep it. And I know that I made several comments about that, not only last week, but I've made probably weekly, I make that comment, that the law is always there to show us uh, our inability. That's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is not to make anybody righteous. The purpose of the law is not to make anybody perfect. The purpose of the law is not given to us so that we would keep the law and be blessed by that. Because no man can keep the law. And I stand by that statement. I believe the Bible says that in Many, many places, and I'm not going to deal with all the places today, but I do at least want to look at a few places where the Bible does say that the law is given to show we cannot keep it. And the Bible teaches as a fact that no man can keep the law. Now this gentleman in uh, one of his statements surrounding this did say that there were people in the Old Testament that could keep and did keep that covenant. And we're keeping that covenant. <clears throat> but no man was keeping the law. Okay? No man was keeping the law. While they may, in a period of time, may have not been breaking God's covenant, they were breaking God's covenant, but they had sacrifices that they would come and give because of the breaking of, of that. But the judgment from breaking the covenant, as far as God taking them into captivity, or eventually, as we have talked about here, God completely making desolate their house uh, by the destruction of Jerusalem and the scattering of the Jews and the removing of all the sacrificial and law system. 
He made that system desolate. It never was intended to be permanent. It never was intended to be anything past Christ Jesus himself. And hopefully I'll deal with that if the Lord continues to lead that direction here in just a few minutes. But I did want to provide New Testament scripture. And I again say that the New Testament, why all of the word of God is the word of God, Old Testament, and the New Testament, that the New Testament is the full revelation of the things in the Old Testament Therefore, if there is a New Testament defining or redefining of something in the Old Testament, or if the New Testament sheds light on something from the Old Testament, then that takes precedence over the New Testament shadow, figure, whatever. Now, he makes this comment here and he says, Nowhere in the Bible does it say that the covenant or the law was given to show that they could not keep the law. Well, if you look at Galatians chapter 3, I would just say if this gentleman is watching, I have a whole entire series where I preach through the book of Galatians. It's on sermon audio. You can go and listen to that uh, if you would like. Um, But starting at verse 1 of chapter 3 in Galatians. Now remember, Paul wrote this whole entire letter to the Galatian church because men such as the one who is asking us questions here, who are trying to get people to go back to the law, to go back to the tabernacle service, to go back underneath the ordinances and the ceremonies that are found in the law, these Judaizers were coming and trying to corrupt the church at at, uh, Galatia and to get them and to preach to them, oh yeah, it's by grace, but you also got to keep the works of the law. We know that to be true because in Acts we have the account of Paul and Barnabas going back to Jerusalem discussing these things because many of the Judaizers were coming from Jerusalem down to uh, these Gentile churches and were spreading this fusion of law and grace amongst the churches. And Paul was coming basically to nip it in the bud and to say, hey, listen, you guys up here, you apostles up here, to the to the Jews, you need to start doing something about this, that these men are coming down and perverting the gospel. And so the letter to the Galatians is a letter to them to exhort them, to admonish them, to warn them of the, uh, uh, of the uh, seriousness of listening to these Judaizers who take the law of God and make that applicable as the rule of life for the child of grace. We are not under the law as a rule of life. That has been uh, uh, that has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus on our behalf and the rule of life for the child of grace is faith in the work of Jesus Christ. That's how we are to live. That's how we walk. Whenever we talk about what is the Christian walk, the Christian walk isn't about doing duties and laws. The Christian walk is the walk of faith that Christ has done everything for me. That's the Christian walk. Now, in Galatians, as Paul has already begun in chapters 1 and chapters 2, beginning to address this issue, he gets to chapter 3 and he just lays it pretty bare. He says, O foolish Galatians, 
See, anybody who is bewildered, as he uses that term, they've been bewitched or bewildered. If you've been bewitched by this uh, preaching of law and a continuing of this old covenant, if you are bewitched by that, you're foolish. Okay, this is, it's foolishness, and I'm not, and that's not necessarily a derogatory thing. It's just that you are ignorant of the truth, and so you are walking in foolishness. You're not walking in truth. You're not walking in in uh, uh, understanding. You're walking in foolishness. And he says, "O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth?" before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. This only would I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. See, you're saying that it isn't by the works of the law that we are saved or that we are state, keep saved or that we will be in the end glorified. It isn't by the law. He says, are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect in the flesh? We can't be made perfect by the law. Okay, so Paul is reiterating that this old covenant, whenever we talk about the old covenant, this is in telling everything. It's not only uh, just talking about the Ten Commandments, it's talking about all the laws and the ordinances. It's talking about all of the old sacrificial system. It's talking about all of the old promises and the old Things that by that were by by uh, uh, by by the letter and by nature, uh, not and by physicality, not the spiritual things of God. Right? He says, "Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain, he therefore that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you." Doeth he it by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So the ones who are the children of Abraham are not the ones who are the children of the law. The children who keep the law, the children, or try to keep the law, the children who are under the old covenant, it's the children who are the ones of faith. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So this is not only talking about the Mosaic Covenant, it's talking about the Abrahamic Covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant is a spiritual covenant. Okay? What was talked about in the flesh and in the natural and in the physical was a shadow of that which is to happen in the spiritual. Just as the Mosaic Covenant, all the laws and ceremonies and rites and rituals and things, ordinances, was all a shadow. A shadow. And that shadow finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is the end of the shadow. He is the end of the law. He is the end of the ordinances. He is the end of those things. Right? Now we'll get to that because that's another question that the that the gentleman uh, posed. He says, <clears throat> for as many as are of the works of the law are under curse. So if you 
hold that you are still under the law, then you are still under the curse. But the New Testament says the children of grace, the elect of God, are no longer under the curse. He says, For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now this uh, gentleman brought up the fact that there were some who kept the covenant, that kept the law and everything, but yet he made the statement, because I made the statement last week, that, that the law was never meant to make anyone perfect. And it wasn't. And it never will. And it never has made anybody perfect. But yet here the Bible says that if you claim to be keeping the law, you must be keeping it perfect to keep because keeping the law is keeping it perfect. Not trying to keep the law or keeping part of the law or keeping it enough to where God says, okay, that's good enough. Because all, the only thing that's good enough is perfection in God's sight. So anybody that was blessed in the physical was blessed not because they kept the law. Okay? They weren't blessed because they kept that covenant. Because they didn't keep the covenant. Now, they may have been keeping with the covenant at certain points of time, but they did not keep the covenant. We can be walking in step with righteousness, but not be walking in righteousness. I hope you understand the difference between that. I can go throughout today without murdering, without stealing, without coveting, without this or that, to some degree. But brethren, I, I may be walking in righteousness, but I'm not walking as one who is righteous, because there is none righteous, no, not one. And someone may be keeping in step with the covenant at a certain point, but they did not keep the covenant, because they broke the covenant. Any break of the law is a break of the whole covenant. So the whole covenant is broken if you break it and not be perfect. So these people were not perfect. The Bible says they were not perfect. He says, For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Curse everyone that continueth not in the things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Okay? The just shall live by faith. So what's the rule of life? For the child of grace, it's faith, not law. And he even goes on to say that. He says, and the law is not of faith. If you're walking by the law or trying to walk by the law, you are not walking by faith. And it says here, the child of grace, the one who is justified by God, the one who is uh, 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 one of the Lord's, the just, walks by faith. They live by faith. They continue in faith, not in the law, in faith. So Paul makes it very clear here. The law keeping, the old covenant, is not a covenant based on faith. The new covenant is. And we walk trusting in the faith of Christ Jesus who justified us. The law is not a faith but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. 
<coughs> for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So see again, the Abrahamic covenant was a covenant that was also tied to the Mosaic covenant. They had to continue to walk, and if they were faithful in this covenant, then they would be blessed with all these blessings that was given. The problem is, is they were blessed for the time that they did keep in step with the covenant. God did fulfill his promise to bring them out of Egypt and to take them into the land. He gave them the land. He removed all their enemies and he blessed them and they gave them the land, but they did not keep the covenant. Therefore, God removed them from the land as he promised he would. And he did not promise that he would bring them back forever. He promised he would bring them back. But if they continued to move away from the covenant again, he would eventually bring desolation upon their house. That's in Jeremiah. So they were not blessed because of walking by the law. All those Old Testament saints that were blessed were blessed by walking in faith. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth unto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So he's saying here, he's saying to the ones who are the children of grace, that promise was given before the law ever came in. Or at least the Mosaic law. God had already given law before that in Adam. But the Mosaic law. However, the breaking of the Mosaic law did not disannul the promises which in Romans we find that when Paul said, So have, have the elect not obtained that which it seeketh after? The promises that they were seeking after? The elect in the flesh. The, the physical Israel. The ones who were separated out from all other countries. Did they not obtain the promises? And this is what this gentleman has been asking. You mean God has made promises that he's not going to keep? The problem is, is as we see right here, the promises weren't not, were not made to a physical Israel, but a spiritual Israel that was within the physical Israel. Just as there is a spiritual Israel within the physical Gentiles. See, God has a people from every tribe and language and tongue, and he is bringing them out of those nations, just as he brought the physical Israel out among all the other nations. He is bringing his spiritual elect out from all the other nations of the world. Israel being one of them. So yes, Israel did obtain that which it seeketh, not everybody, but the ones that were foreknew of God, those whom he foreloved. 
those who He foreknew, those who He had called with a holy calling, those who had been given to Christ Jesus, those were the ones who obtained it. Paul makes that very clear in Romans. That they did obtain the promises, and those promises that, that they received, they received in a spiritual fashion, not in a physical fashion. They received it in Christ. He says here, he says, <clears throat> And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law which is 400 years, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. So see, there it is. The purpose for the law, the law came in for the adding of transgressions. When, so wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. How long? Till the seed. Who is the seed? We just learned. It's Christ. Verse 16. It's Christ. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Verse 21, Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteous should have been by the law. But the scriptures have concluded all under sin, or the law have concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But here it is. And you might remember me making this comment a while back. Jesus Christ is the personification of faith. Matter of fact, we can speak of faith, and faith is actually used in the Scriptures as a noun, not as something as a verb, something we do. It's a noun. But, look at the. But before faith came, before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. So that tells me that this, the first, the first faith, I believe, is Christ Jesus and his, his actual work of obedience, right? The second faith is that which is the body of doctrine that includes that work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So look at it there. But before faith, Christ came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster, was our teacher. Okay? Or he was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The purpose of the law was not for us to keep it and to perpetually be a worship thing unto God because God didn't accept anything of the old covenant. It was always a shadow pointing towards Christ. And so the law was given because of the transgressions to add to, to show forth, to bring out, to magnify, to, to manifest the transgression that we had. But whenever faith came, 
we have no need. Look there. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Now, brethren, that can't be any more clear. The law is the schoolmaster. We are no longer under the schoolmaster. Now that faith is come. If we're a child of grace, born of God, given faith in Christ Jesus, we are not under law. We are not under the old covenant. That is gone. The purpose for it is gone in two fashions that I can see. Number one, it is gone in the fact that it is no longer, we do not longer, no longer need the shadow because we have the substance. Second of all, we no longer need it as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ because we've been brought to Christ. Now that we've been brought to Christ, that faith in Christ is what continues to be our rule of life. <coughs> and I believe that's as clear as day. He says, for ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. <coughs> And he says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. The old covenant means nothing in its physical nature because in the kingdom of Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is not going to be the segregation of Jews over the Gentiles. God has made that clear that in the spiritual kingdom, under the spiritual king, under the spiritual Israel, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, but all are one in Christ. I think that's as clear as it can be said. Now, does the Bible say that in any other spots? Could you say, well, preacher, I don't think that's very clear. Well, look with me at Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Now, if you look here, the context of this passage is the one offense by Adam. Not talking about some offense by all of us after Adam fell under the Mosaic Law. This is going all the way back to the very beginning. The first offense on earth was the offense of Adam. And it says here that the law came in that the offense, so that the offense might Abound. The purpose that God gave Adam the law was so that he would sin. That's what that means. Now, if that's not what that means, somebody please pray tell. Tell me, what does that mean? Because perfect, clear reading says that. I don't know of any other understanding of that. The law came in that the offense might abound. You say, well, why would God do that when he hates sin? 
because the purpose of God from the foundation of the world is that he might glorify himself in the redemption of a people through the perfect work and sacrifice of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. To the praise and glory of his grace. That's the reason sin entered in. That's the reason God predestinated, created, and brought forth sin and evil into this world. And he gave a law so that that which was created natural of the earth, earthy, would manifest its imperfection as silver and gold once it's thrown into the fire, it looks pretty, it looks pure, but once it's put under the fire, the dross begins to come out. And Adam looked nice, looked pretty, looked good, he looked upright, but whenever the weight and the heat of God's law was given to him, what brought, was brought forth? It was the impurity of his natural earthy, sinful self. You say, well, don't you think that makes God to be the author of sin? You said that. I didn't say that. That phrase isn't found in the Bible anywhere. All I'm saying is that's what God says. God says that he created Adam in such a way that he was natural of the earth earthy without the ability to keep his law and he gave him that law to show it. He giving the law to show forth that he could not keep this law. And having not been able to keep this law, and that every seed reproduces after itself, brought forth sin onto the whole world, and everyone born of Adam therefore is also in the same boat, unable to keep the law of God, the law of God continued from Adam, Till now, it continues on until Christ comes again to be a schoolmaster to bring people to Christ. The law is there as a schoolmaster to show our inability, to show that we cannot keep, to show how much transgression is in us so that we would give glory and honor and our faith would be resting in Christ Jesus, not in law-keeping, rituals, ordinances, and sacrifices. But the substance that came and did away with all those things. Why go back to the shadow? But, by the way, this is another question. This gentleman, I, I, I hope, before I move on from here, I hope everybody understands what I'm saying here. Does God create and predestinate sin and evil? Well, he does in the fact that he created Adam natural, not spiritual. You can find that in 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to go look that up. He created him natural, not spiritual. We keep saying Adam was made spiritual. He wasn't. He's made natural. And the natural man cannot receive or keep the things of the Spirit of God. That's clear in Scripture. Those are fundamental clear doctrines of Scripture. Now, don't get caught up in theologians and academians out there that want to say otherwise and twist God's words. That's what God's Word says. And it says here that that offense came in, or that offense abounded, 
because of the law. The intent of the law was to manifest the sin of men and to show forth their inability so that for the children of grace, the elect of God who would be given faith, their faith would not be resting in their works, but in the work of Christ. That's the purpose of the law. And so we believe in the law. We love the law. We think the law is righteous and holy, but it's righteous and holy and good as it's intended to be used. It's intended to expose our sin. It's, it's intended to show us our inability and our need for Christ, which takes us to the other comment this gentleman makes, and I'll quote, shadow of things to come. He says, every time this phrase is used, and now he didn't say every time this phrase is used, but I'm supplying that so it should understand what he was meaning. He said, every time it is still future tense. A shadow of things to come. He said that's future tense. This may, and he goes on, quote, This means we still only see the shadow and do the shadow. It has not been revealed to us yet what is creating the shadow. Now I believe this is where this gentleman is in great error and misunderstanding. Because yes, the Bible has told us who the shadow is and has, yes, told us that this shadow has found its fulfillment. He says, So we still do what is of the shadow even today. How can we say that the shadow is longer if that is what we still see and not the object that he created the shadow, has created the shadow? Now, I, I'm reading that word for word for what he said. I'm taking, he means this, that how can we say that the shadow is no longer if that is what we still see and not the object that has created the shadow? Number one, let's talk about this. The word shadow here means something that is imperfect, something that is unsubstantial. That's what this word means. The word shadow, as it's used in Scripture, means an imperfect, unsubstantial um, expression of something. If I was to go out there and stand out here in the sunlight, or if you just look out there, you see the sunlight is shining from over here and shining in that direction, and you see the shadow of that tree. Now that shadow of that tree, while it looks a lot like that tree, isn't the tree. And as you look at that shadow, it's somewhat in the same shape of that shadow, but it's not exactly in the shape of that shadow. And as I look at that shadow, I can see through that shadow to what's behind the shadow. But that tree, I can't look through that tree. Why? Because the tree is the substance. The shadow is the thing cast from the substance. Right there is the tree. Now, am I going to go out there and am I going to try to water that shadow? Am I going to go out there and try to clip, clip the head or clip the limbs of that shadow? Am I going to go out there and try to hang a swing from that shadow? No. Why? Because it's just a shadow. It's not the real thing. It's not the intention of what what is the substance. The substance is what. So if I'm going to have any kind of glory in 
and the and what is there, it's going to be in that. I'm not going to go and say, man, what a mighty shadow that is. What a lovely shadow that is. And give praise and honor and, and adoration to the shadow. I'm going to say, man, that is an awesome oak tree out there. Look how big that thing is. Look at them branches. I bet you I can put three swings on that branch. <coughs> So it has the shadow been revealed? And are we told that we are no longer to look at the shadow? Well, look if you would with me. And this is, by the way, um, these next um, few verses are the ones that he actually give me as proof uh, that this shadow has not been revealed. But I think if this gentleman would just continue to uh, read the context, I think you will find that um, he's taking these out of context. Colossians chapter 2, if you would. He said Colossians chapter 2 and verse 17 is proof that the shadow is still what we follow and that it's still a future tense thing, a present and future tense thing. Colossians chapter 2, look if you would at verse 17, let's read it. Matter of fact, I want to read verse 16, so we have the context of what the which in verse 17 is referring to. It says, let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are, present tense, a shadow of things to come that has not happened. That's how he sees it. That's how he understands it. That's not how I'm saying it is. That's how he sees it. So he's saying, and he believes, and I can understand where it's coming from. I'll say that. I can understand where he can be confused about this because it says, which are, that would be a present tense, a shadow so he agrees that these things are shadows. That's good. But he thinks that they are continuing. And that the, it's a shadow of things to come. So Paul, having wrote, wrote to the Colossians after Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, is writing that this is something that is still a future thing. And so whenever you first look at that, you ponder, well, hey, maybe he's got... Maybe he's got something there. It does say are and not were. Well, look at the word are there. The word are is in the third person, singular, present, indicative. You say, well, what does that mean? I have no clue. Well, without getting academic, because I don't think we really need to get academic, but for those who want to be academic, let me point out the academic of it. The word are there is a third person, singular, present, indicative. That means it's a statement of fact. This is a statement of fact. Paul is using a statement of fact. He's not laying down something as if it's still ongoing, but that this is a statement of fact. The law and the ordinances of the law and all the ceremonies of the law are a shadow of things to come. That is true Back then, 
it was true of it right there, and it's true clear into our future. Yes, it is a present future thing. In this aspect, as I mentioned a while ago, until faith comes. See, the law is still active for the use in which it was intended. To bring the child of grace to his knees, understanding there is no hope in the old covenant. The only hope is in the new covenant. And the only hope is Christ, because Christ is our hope. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our perfection. Christ is everything. Therefore, the only hope is in the new covenant because the old covenant only condemns us. So yes, the law and all of its ceremonies and things are still shadows, not for us to keep, but that we might read and see. These things are written, and it's talking about the Old Testament, these things are written for our understanding. See, now that we're in this new covenant age, this new time, this new covenant uh, that God has now done away with the old and brought in with the new, now that we are in that, the purpose of the law still stands. It condemns those who are under the law. But praise God, the elect spiritual children of God are not under the law. They're under grace. They're not under that Old Testament system. They're not under all those things. And so we see here that the shadow is still there to point them to Christ. I still go to the Old Testament and I preach Christ out of the Old Testament. Just as Jesus, just as the apostles took and preached Christ out of the Old Testament. They didn't keep going and preaching the, the, the shadows. They didn't keep going and preaching the, the, the ceremonies and the rites and the rituals. No, that stopped with Christ. And this gentleman doesn't believe that it stopped with Christ. But it says here, in verse 16, it says, Let no man therefore, so that therefore means, wait a minute, 16 and 17 is tied back to something else. It's tied back to something so that now, therefore, we shouldn't let anybody judge us in the keeping of those ceremonial things. So what was it? What was the therefore tied together? Look at verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world. Now that word rudiments of the world, that phrase, is used in Scripture as it pertains to the Old Covenant. It pertains to the law. Beware Lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. If we're complete, we lack nothing. So that means none of this law keeping is doing anything for us. It only brings condemnation. In whom ye also in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. So that's that inward circumcision of the heart. Not talking about the outward, 
the law, the natural, he's talking about the spiritual, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and of the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out, here it is, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore... So since Christ has removed the old covenant and all of its ordinances and all of its handwriting of the handwriting of ordinances and all of its rudiments and all of its stuff, let no man therefore judge you whether or not you eat what's clean and what's unclean. Let no man judge you in keeping this day or keeping that day. Let no man judge you whether or not you're worshiping after this festival or that festival according to the moon or in Sabbath days. Why? Why? Because they are a shadow of things that was to come. But <clears throat> here's where I want to answer the gentleman's <clears throat> question. He says, and I'll quote it again, it has not been, it's not a question I guess I should say, it has not been revealed to us yet what is creating the shadow. Verse 17, look at with it with me if you would. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ. What's casting the shadow? The body. When we talk about a shadow, what is casting the shadow? The body. And it says here, in plain English, the body that's casting the shadow is Christ. Christ is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. He is the substance and the fulfillment of all of everything that that old covenant promised. He is the substance and fulfillment of everything the new covenant promises. Everything finds its fulfillment in Christ Jesus. But whenever we speak of all that old covenant things, they were shadows of things to come, and then the Bible clearly defines what was the thing to come. The body is of Christ. Now, why is this used in a present and yet future language? Well, again, number one, we see that the gospel was still being spread Okay, remember, this gospel of Christ, while, yes, veiled in the Old Testament, was preached. We just read it a while ago that the gospel was preached to Abraham. I think the Bible is true and every man's a liar, especially those who say it wasn't. It was preached to Abraham, but maybe not in its fullness, as we know. However, at this time, 
Here we see the Jews having been scattered. The Jews that were in Jerusalem. The Jews that were in wherever else they were scattered. And now those who have come to believe, the Gentiles, who have been been given to believe, who have heard over and over and over how they are Gentile dogs and they don't have what the physical Israel has. They weren't given the ordinances. They weren't given the oracles of God. They weren't given the presence of God among them. And the Gentiles seeing that and hearing that and being uh, made fun of because of that by the Jews. Paul preaching to the Gentiles are saying, listen, all those things were shadows of things to come. So the gospel is still being preached. The gospel is still being spread. There are still those who are under the influence of Judaic understanding who still have yet to hear that gospel message. Just as today there are still those in the Gentile world who are under the message of works for reward. The gospel of grace is still coming to them and the law of God and the shadow of everything that was in that is still pointing them to Christ. Second of all, I think that this is spoken of in this way because the destruction of Jerusalem had not yet taken place yet. The desolation of Jerusalem and the tabernacle, the temple, had not yet happened. In Matthew chapter 23 and 28, Jesus himself... And speaking to the Pharisees, matter of fact, Matthew 23, that whole entire chapter, is nothing but Jesus preaching woe against the Pharisees. The woes upon the Pharisees. These religious leaders, these Judaizers. And he says in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, here it is, your house is left unto you desolate. Jesus himself proclaimed woe, proclaimed desolation upon the house of Jerusalem upon the house of the Judaic system, which was a symbol and a, and a, and a, uh, 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 a representation of that Old Covenant. The Old Covenant, the Mount Zion, all those things representing that Old Covenant. Jesus said, this will be left desolate. Your house is left to you desolate. In Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 7, it was foretold that this would happen. Jeremiah verse 12, or chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12. Look with me at verse 7. 
It says, I have forsaken mine house. I have left mine heritage. I have given the dearly beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. Jesus has made them desolate. With the destruction of Jerusalem, <coughs> that house was laid desolate. But brethren, at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, at his death, when that veil was rent in, rent, rent in two, the oblations ceased. They couldn't have oblations anymore because of that veil being torn in two. The Holy of Holies was now exposed. Men couldn't go in to offer the sacrifice uh, on the Day of Atonement because the veil had been rent in two. And so on that day, the day that he died, the desolation and the oblation and the fullness of the transgression of the Jews were brought forth and filled. That veil was rent in two. And exactly a few years later, the destruction of Jerusalem took place. And God brought destruction upon the whole city, upon the whole tabernacle and worship system. And that's how it's been ever since. And I believe that's how it will be from now on. I do not believe that God is ever going to bring His presence back into some earthly tabernacle. He's ever going to bring His presence back into some earthly people. But again, the third reason I believe that that passage is the shadow of things to come is still in a present, ongoing type language is because that law still does preach. The gospel and our inability, and we continue to use that until faith comes and experience. When faith came as the substance we no longer needed the schoolmaster. Whenever it comes in experience, that schoolmaster goes away because we now know where the substance is, who the substance is, and we're, we're trusting in the substance. The body of Christ is the substance. So the Bible clearly tells that. But here before we leave, I wrote down a bunch of verses that I thought would be helpful in showing that the old covenant has been done away with. So turn with me, if you would, and if, if you can't keep up with me, uh, then just write them down. You can look at them later, maybe. But Hebrews chapter 7, look at verse 18 and 19. It says, For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. So there was a making perfect of people, but it wasn't by the law, it was by Christ. We are made perfect by Christ. Not perfect in the natural side, but perfect in the spiritual side. Because we still sin, I still sin every day. I'm still not made perfect. But yet the Bible does declare that we are perfect in Christ Jesus. Since for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh 
unto God. But it says right there that there has been a disannulling of the commandments. Look at what Hebrews chapter 9. Look at starting at verse 8. The Word of God says this, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. And that's not talking about the 1500s, the 1600s Reformation. <clears throat> that's talking about that these things stood and was imposed upon people until the time that the substance came and fulfilled it. The Reformation of all things. The, re that's what the word re Reformation means a reforming. Christ came and reformed everything by bringing in the new covenant. And in bringing in the new covenant, that means the old covenant is no longer enacted. That the old covenant is disannulled. That it has gone away. Now, with that being said, a lot of people are going to say, now didn't Jesus say that I didn't come to abolish the law, but that I might... Fulfill it? Exactly. Exactly. He didn't come to abolish the law. That's what a lot of people think that we're saying. He didn't come to abolish the law and just say, okay, the law's done. But he came to fulfill the law. So therefore, in fulfilling the law, all of the covenant was kept for his people. He fulfilled the law, and that law keeping is applied to his spiritual people. The children of Abraham. The children of faith. The children who are the seed. The promise. The, the Jacobs. The Isaacs. That's who the promise was given to. And so he fulfilled that. He didn't just abolish it. He fulfilled it. So there is therefore now a fulfillment of that. And if the law has been fulfilled then it's been completed. It's done. There's no need for it anymore. The purpose of the law was to con uh, condemn sin. And what is the righteous requirement of the law? That sin be condemned in the flesh. Therefore Jesus came and He was condemned in the flesh on our behalf. Therefore the law was fulfilled. The, the justice of the law was fulfilled and the obedience of the law was fulfilled in Christ. So not only did he keep the law for us, he died under the law for our penalty. Every bit of God's law was kept and fulfilled in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, and that was the Reformation. But Christ being come, a high priest of good things to come, there it is, a shadow of things to come, he came as a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect 
tabernacle. If there's a greater and more perfect tabernacle, why go back to the one who is not? <clears throat> but it's a tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of bulls and goats, excuse me, goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Let's quit serving him in dead works. That's what the law service is doing. That's dead works. The service of the law makes no one perfect. Quit serving it. If you're a child of grace, quit serving it. Why, preacher? Because it was served already for you. Christ served it. Served it perfectly on your behalf. And He's given that to you. Now all that He says is, trust in Him. Look to Him. Believe on Him to be your righteousness. He says that for this cause he is the mediator of a new testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. See, the, the promise of the inheritance didn't come by the first testament. For where a testament is there must also of necessity be a death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood and the calves of goat and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the books and all the people saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these things, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Pretty clear that this is a covenant that has went away. Galatians, check back to Galatians if you would. Again. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. It says, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. 
Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith, but that after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Galatians chapter 4, look at verse 9. <clears throat> but now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire to be in bondage? So this is what I'm asking this brethren, that asks us these questions. Why would you want to continue in under the things that, that uh, uh, bring you into bondage? The weak and beggarly elements whenever we have fulfillment in Christ. Ye observe days and months and times and years. And here's my, here's my uh, response to the, to the fellow. I am afraid of you. Lest, and I can't say I, but lest Christ and His Word have bestowed upon you labor in vain. He says, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know that through infirmity of the flesh I preach the gospel unto you at the first. So we see that uh, this, uh, uh, this uh, covenant uh, only brings in bondage and it has gone away. Uh, look with me, if you would, and this will be the last one we'll read, is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, Epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. For such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter. Why do we preach the New Covenant? Why do we preach a ceasing of the Old Covenant? Why do we preach the fulfillment? Why do we preach uh, the shadows as only pointing to Christ and not a continual servants to Christ? Because God hath made us able ministers of a New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. We are looking for the things of the spiritual nature, not the natural nature, not the physical nature, not the letter. He says, Who have made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now look here in verse 7. But if the ministration of death, or the ministration of the law, written and engraved in stones was glorious, so that the children of God could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more that the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory. 
For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. It means the only thing that makes the old covenant even glorious is the fact of the substance to which it was pointing. The only reason the old covenant is glorious in any aspect whatsoever is because there is a more excellent fulfillment in the new covenant. For if that which is done away, for that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. So the old covenant is done away, the new covenant is and remaineth. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which veil is done away in Christ? Brethren, listen, and this gentleman, I pray, if he's listening, the reason you keep looking back whenever Moses is read, you still are seeing a veil. You're still seeing a veil. To the child of grace, that veil has been removed. And we see that the glory behind it is fading. It's a fading glory. That which was glorious of the Old Testament was a temporary glory. It was a shadow glory. The substance, the glory that it points to and, and preaches and, and exalts is Christ Jesus. And the child of grace, those who have been born from above and has been given the Spirit of God that teaches them and reveals the secret things of God, especially in the mystery of Christ who is God manifested in flesh and all that He has done and His bride being in Him, those things have been made manifest are being made manifest to the children of grace, and they are not looking at Moses in a veil. They are looking at Moses for who Moses was. A fleeting shadow and, and veining glory that was to show forth the true glory, which is Christ. So I pray that the Lord would give this man a view without the veil to see Christ, to view Christ in all these things, and to have hope in Christ, and not in the things of the flesh, which cannot attain to anything. There will be no hope for this man. There will be no hope for any of us, if our hope is in law-keeping. And there will be no true glory and, and honor and praise and worship given to God in the things that God does not ask for glory and praise, and honor in. Because He has done those things away. He is no longer going to have anything to do with bulls, and goats, and blood, and sacrifices, and temples, and tabernacles, and houses, and physical nations. So we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We look to Him, who is the hope. We have full faith, and full assurance, and full, full understanding, and, and, and confidence in him and him alone and not in the things of the old covenant. 
All right, does anybody have any questions or any comments? Anything to add to it? Maybe some other verses that I might have missed. I know it's kind of long, but... <coughs> <coughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you now thanking you so much once again for Jesus Christ in whom is the fulfillment of all things. Lord, we thank you for the unveiling that you have given to your people to see and understand that we are not come unto Mount Zion, but we have come, or excuse me, not come unto Mount Sinai, but we have come unto Mount Zion, unto the heavenly Jerusalem, who is the mother of us all. <coughs> We're not looking for some earthly mountain, some earthly tabernacle, some earthly kingdom, and some earthly people to govern that kingdom on your behalf. But we understand a spiritual kingdom that you have brought up spiritual uh, people in and you have made them spiritual priests unto God and we preach a spiritual gospel to those who are spiritual in the spiritual kingdom. And so when we continue to ask that you would be with us, to give us faith, and to give us understanding of your word. Lord, I pray for all these, like this gentleman who has been questioning some of the things that we believe, what your word says. He's not been questioning us, but questioning your word. Lord, I pray that you would give him understanding, that you would open up and reveal unto him the truth of Scripture. As with all of our friends and family, Father, I pray that you might give them life and that you might give them understanding that you'll grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that is in Christ Jesus. And so Father Lord I pray today as we leave this place that you might continue to keep us and that you might give us safety Lord that you might provide the things that we have need of. Lord we just ask so much that you would continue to be with us in these meetings and that you might even bring others as you see fit to add to your church. Lord, and we just thank you for it. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.